Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night. This is God's word. You may be seated. Please keep your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 8. And as you know, if, uh, if you've been here over the last couple of months, we are working our way through the book of Joshua, not only in our sermons, but also in our adult Bible classes. And this morning in our assembly, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 8. And before we begin that message, I'll invite you not only to have your Bible open, but to make sure that you have that sermon outline that you find in the handout that you can use to take notes and to, to follow along as we, we go through this message this morning. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we have been called to be your people. And as we have just sung, we pray to be faithful to you in all that we do, to be faithful, 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 even though we, we don't see, we believe, Father. And we know that one day our faith will see you face to face. And until then, we pray, Father, that as your forgiven, called, holy people, that we will be transformed by the gospel and be loving in this community and to be gentle and faithful and, and to be full of self-control and kind and generous. And as you have blessed us, for us to become conduits of this blessing into this community. But at the same time, Father, we, we pray to have a sober-minded understanding of the greatness and the magnitude of sin that is a, a reproach to your holiness. And what we pray for, Father, is that as, as we live as light and, and we become salt in this community more and more so every day, that we, will, that we will be holy people and at the same time gracious people, forgiven but forthright in our understanding of the call to righteousness and the call to be holy as you are holy. And so give us eyes that see and ears that, that hear as we study this passage this morning. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. And all the church said, the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, from 1966 to 1983, they made the playoffs every year except one year. Does anybody know what year that was? 1974, 1974 out of all those years was the only year that they did not make it to the playoffs. That was the exception. But that season was salvaged. And you know why? Thanksgiving Day, 1974, against those dreaded Washington Redskins. Calvin Hill, the running back, is injured, not able to play. Roger Staubach during the game is battling the flu. He's been knocked out of the game in the third quarter by a Washington Redskin by the name of David Robinson. It's kind of ironic. Washington is ahead now 16-3 to in the third quarter, by a run that's made by an ex-cowboy by the name of Dwayne Thomas. Remember that guy? He scores. The, the Redskins are up 16-3. to three. The Cowboys are going to have to regroup. The Cowboys are in dire straits. Cowboys are going to have to regroup and regroup. They did. Enter into the game Abilene Christian University rookie Clint Longley. Before you know it, 
there's a 35-yard touchdown pass to Billy Joe Dupree. And then before you know it again, there's another score. Walt Garrison from the one-yard line. Dallas is up 17 to 16. But the Washington Redskins, they're having a, a phenomenal season. Going into that game, they're 8 and 3. They're going to the playoffs. They come roaring back. And Dwayne Thomas breaks off a 19-yard run to take the lead again, 23-17. to 17. Dallas is going to get the ball back one more time. A minute, 45 less than, left in that game. They're driving and they're driving and they're driving. It comes down to fourth down. They convert on a fourth down play. 35 seconds that are left in the game. And then there is a connection between Clint Longley and Drew Pearson with 35 seconds left in the game that results in this. I know you want to yell. But we'll, we're in church, so all the church said, Amen. There you go. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes, and there's not a lot of them that come out of the NFL. One of my favorite quotes is by the, 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 the offensive lineman for the Cowboys, Blaine Nye. And looking back on that game, he said that this was the triumph of the uncluttered mind. It's a great quote coming out of the NFL. The point is, in telling that story, is that sometimes... Victory requires a regroup. You're battling sin in your life and you're making some headway. The next thing you know, you stumble and you fall. You've got to regroup. There are some things that are happening in a relationship. Maybe your finances are beginning to fall down again. You've got to regroup. Sometimes victory requires a regroup. And that brings us to Joshua chapter 7 and 8. In chapter 7, as we studied last week, there is a defeat at the hands of the, the citizens of Ai. And the reason is Achan has taken some of the devoted things at the Battle of Jericho. And the hearts of, of Israel melt because there were 3,000 of their soldiers that went against Ai. They are routed by the city of Ai, which was completely unsuspected. It was, it was not anticipated in the least. Very unexpected. 36 of their citizens are killed, and their hearts melt with fear. They, they become like water. And Joshua falls down b before the Lord and says, Why has this come upon us? Well, the Lord tells him that he needs to get up, that there has been a problem in the camp, and it's the sin that has infected everybody. And Achan's sin is uncovered, and Achan's sin is punished. And at the end of chapter 7, we read these words, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord turns from his fierce anger. And Israel regroups, and with a conventional battle strategy, they go against Ai one more time. And even though they're on the east side of Ai, Part of the army goes to the west side of Ai, as you can see up here on the screen, while the rest of the army goes to the north side of the city where there is the main gate and there is located this big valley. And the men of Ai see that big army of, of Israelites to the north. They attack the Israelites to their north. They pursue, uh, pursue them, leaving the entire city wide open. There was not a man that was left in the city in verse 17. The Israelites on the west side, then, who have been in hiding and ready for the ambush, are given a signal by, by Joshua, who holds his javelin out, and they enter the city of Ai, and they start it on fire. The men of Ai that have been pursuing to the north, outside that gate, through the valley, that large army of Israelites to their north, they see the fire, they hear all of that battle that's going on in the city. They turn around to head back into Ai. The men of Ai or the, the, the Israelites that are in Ai see them coming back. They come out of the city, and the, 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 uh, the big army and the small army trap the men of Ai in the valley and defeat them. And here is how the Bible describes that destruction. 
When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of the city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Now, it's, it's a rough story and just a reminder of something that we saw earlier in the study of the book of Joshua. This is not the massacre of innocents, but a reminder. It's a visible, historical reminder that God's judgment on the wicked is total and comprehensive. Let me say it again. God's judgment on the wicked is total and comprehensive for all men, not just the people of Ai, not just the people of Jericho, but even for His own people who have decided not to live faithfully. The stories of those miracles, of the parting of the, of the, of the Red Sea, the, the manna, the, the dove, the, the way that Israel was supplied water in the desert, the parting of the Jordan River in order for Israel to cross over. All of these miracle stories that converted a prostitute by the name of Rahab did not lead the rest of Canaan to repentance. And the rocks of the king of Ai, as well as the rocks on Achan, are a reminder that God will always judge sin. And what we have to choose is what it is that is going to cover us. Is it going to be the rocks of, of judgment or is it going to be the blood of the rock of ages? That's what we have to decide. And so the story continues in chapter 8 and verse 30. The people have suffered defeat at the hands of Ai. They have regrouped and then they gained the next victory with this battle that we just saw up on the, on the screen. And at the end of that battle, you would think that Israel is pumped, that they're ready to take the next city, which is to the west. And this is probably the way that they are really feeling. They're ready to get on with the conquest. They have all their ducks in a row. But Joshua does something that doesn't really make sense from a military standpoint, but it does from a spiritual standpoint. Joshua takes them to a different kind of a battlefield. He takes them to a battlefield of the heart, a battlefield where they have to make faith choices. It's the same kind of battlefield that we have to face every day, every week. You know, a lot of times we think that just because we come inside of these four walls, all of a sudden there's going to be this spirit of worship, a spirit of holiness that is created inside of us. I'm here to tell you, you will be sorely disappointed. Those issues of holiness, I mean, these four walls do not automatically create worship. Worship is already established in our hearts by choices that we have made. The same with holiness. It's not these four walls, but we have decided that we will be holy as God has called us to be holy. It's a decision that we have already made in our hearts. And so Joshua takes Israel, in a manner of speaking, to church, which is a valley between two mountains, two very famous mountains in the northern part, or actually the central part of Israel. It's Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. 
Now, these two mountains were not new to Israel. They had heard about them before. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 27, Moses is instructing Joshua as to what he's to do once he gets the people in to the promised land. And after they've won a couple of battles, this is what he's supposed to do. Take them to this very spot, to this very valley. And while he's there, he's to build an altar, and he's not to use any kind of a man-made tool on these rocks. And he's to copy on the stones that he's going to pile up there, the law of Moses. And then after the, at the end of that, after all of that's been done, he's going to get the people divided, and he's going to pronounce the curses and the blessings upon God's people, depending on how they choose and regroup at this point. Now, why, why did Moses give these instructions? Why did Moses say there is a point where victory after victory after victory, you're going to need to stop and regroup and reconsider and rethink your identity and who you are as the people of God? It's because he knew that the people would fail. He knew that human nature would say, you know what? There is, there is, there's just something about human nature. There is something about human beings that is going to fail and is going to need to regroup. And so he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, See, I set before you today life and prosperity. This is Moses speaking to this group a year earlier. I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, His decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, this day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now this moment has come to pass and they are in this valley and Israel has a gigantic visual on either side of them. They have met God in worship and they have listened to the Word of God, and on one side of them there is a mountain that represents the blessings of God. And on the other side there is a mountain of cursings, and they are told to choose. You see it. A mountain of blessing, a mountain of cursing. You choose what's it going to be. Is it going to be life, or is it going to be death? Is it going to be to hold fast to God, or is it going to be to bow down before those Canaanite gods? Now, friends, many Christians experience AI, that unexpected setback. You know, sometimes it's disenchantment in marriage, disappointment with kids, it's disappointment with parents. We become disillusioned with God in the way that we think that God should operate in the universe. We become discontent in our job and we're frustrated with the lack of forward movement. You know, we live in an economy right now where there just seems to be distress across the board. Distress in all kinds of finances. The question we have to ask is, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do? What are we going to do in defeat? Are we going to manage life from the, the, the fetal position? 
Or are we going to get up and regroup and move forward to the victory that God has promised us? That's what God, God told Joshua to do. God told Joshua to get up and to deal with the sin in his life. In other words, regroup. Don't stay down there on your face. What are you doing on your face? There's a time to pray and there's a time to repent. Now is the time to repent. And after you've repented and made it right between you and I, go back to Ai. You know, one of the things in, 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 in being sort of an eclectic reader is you, you run across all these quotes and there's another one from William Faulkner, one of my favorite, in fact, that goes like this. William Faulkner, in an interview, said one time, my life is, is, is marked by monuments, or, or excuse me, not marked by monuments, but by footsteps. A monument says, I got this far before I stopped. A footstep says, I got this far before I moved again. That's what Joshua chapter 7 and 8 is all about. That there is a time that you get up off of your face and you do the hard work of godly sorrow and bearing the fruit of repentance and you deal with that sin by confessing it to a brother or confessing it to a sister and dealing with it, the hard work of dealing with the righteousness that we're called to live from a practical standpoint and then you get on with your life and that means glorifying God with the victories that He's going to give you from there on out. Now, too many Christians, friends, get throttled by the AIs in life, and they never regroup, and they never make any headway, and they sink into boring mediocrity. And they wonder, as they sit in this auditorium, why in the world do these songs, where has the meaning and the significance of these songs gone to? How come I can't sing the songs of Zion anymore? I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that pursuing victory in your life means pursuing God. And pursuing God means that from time to time you have to regroup. Now the big question is, how do you do that? How do you regroup after a defeat? Well, the first thing you do is you regroup with God's truth. You regroup with God's truth. God does not give up on you. And neither does Satan. And Satan will continue to lie into your ear and he will whisper that because of what you've done, because of who you are, because of the labels, because of the identity that you think you have in this community, that God has no time for losers. That God does not have mercy for you. That God does not have patience for you. That's why you can't listen to those lies. It has to be counteracted by the truth of God's Word. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Let's say that together. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Let's say it one more time. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. Is that good news? Amen? He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Amen? Or repay us according to our iniquities. Two amens. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as He has, is, 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 so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, for He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are what, church? Dust. Let me give you four pictures up here on the screen and see if you find anything, in, if you can guess what they have in common. First picture, 
Second picture, that one grew up and said, I want to be a song leader. <laughs> and then the third picture, I want to grow up and be a preacher. <laughs> and then the fourth picture, chocolate, what chocolate? What do those pictures have in common besides the mess on the face? Those are the faces that only a father will kiss. That is a truth. And what that means is that we need to be reminded from time to time that God wants to kiss our face. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The boy goes off. He wants his father to be dead. He wants to get the inheritance. He goes off into a far country with all of that money, which with a young man in a far country with a lot of money, it's always a bad idea. It ends in a bad place. Big, big mistakes is what this kid does. Ruins his life and, 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 and finds himself in the sewer. And what does he do? He regroups. The Bible literally says that he comes to his senses. He repents. He turns around. He regroups. And he goes home because as Psalm 103 always says, God always has an open door for us. And in the story of the prodigal son, this father sees this, this son way off in a distance, and he does what no Middle Eastern patriarch would ever do. He runs off of that porch and dives on that boy and begins to kiss his face. God is the Father who wants to kiss your face. And He wants to bless you. And He wants to take care of you. Do you remember this from Joshua chapter 8, verse 2? Joshua is being told to go back to Ai, and he says, you shall do to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. God's desire is to bless you, not to curse you. That's why you need to regroup with God's truth. And then secondly, you have to regroup with worship. You know, one of the things I've discovered, the older I get, is that everything runs down. It runs south. It, it, it gets tired. It runs out of energy. That's why we all need to recharge our batteries daily. The same thing is true with the spiritual life. Now, generally speaking, that's what we do when we run into adversity, is it not? We run into adversity, we begin to lose that spiritual charge, and what is it that we do? We stop going to church on Sundays. We stop going to church on Sundays. Why? Because we don't have God's truth and we believe what it is that Satan is saying, that God doesn't want you in the assembly of the saints worshiping Him because you have this particular sin. Listen, friends, there's never a Sunday that I have been alive or have preached a sermon to this particular congregation that there has not been sinners in the pew, including the pulpit. Why is it that we stop when that's the very thing we need? It's because after AI, we think that we cannot draw near to God, maybe. But friends, that's really when you need the presence of God more than any other time. When you get in trouble, when you need to regroup, that is the time that you need to get face-to-face -face with God. And this is really a historical problem. I mean, the church has always dealt with this because the church has always been made up of sinners. You know, the church is always going to be made up not just of mature rams and, 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 and sheep, but they're going to be lambs. They're going to be babes in Christ. They're going to be, you know, 50% of the church is going to be immature from time to time, especially if the church is doing its job and fulfilling its mission out in the community and helping people to get in touch with God through the gospel. We're going to be bringing people in that have issues and struggles and have made a multitude, an avalanche of mistakes in their life, and they feel that their life is eroding away. And that's why we need that truth. 
And that's why we need to recognize that we're not the only ones that have ever dealt with it. James had to deal with it back in the first century. He says, listen, God gives us more what? Grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You know, you know what that means to us in a practical sense? One of the reasons we don't come to church is because we think that our sin, the sin that we've been able to commit by our two hands and between our two ears, think up, is so great and so disastrous, disastrously dirty and filthy and heinous that God is going to be humbled by that. He's not going to be able to... You know, we, we don't believe that God can pick up a rock so big He can't pick it up. But we believe that we can sin a sin that is so big that God can't forgive it. God opposes the proud. I'm telling you right now, God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Regroup, and He'll flee from you. Come near to God, and He will what? Come near to you. Amen? That altar between Ebal and Gerizim is a reminder for the need of God's grace. And the key is not in never making a mistake, but in always, always, always taking every misstep, every mistake, every moment that we need to regroup in this life to God. Which then leads to a third thing. You have to regroup with obedience. Joshua led Israel to a valley of decision. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is speaking and he says, you know, these are the words you're to speak. And when all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you and, and you take them to heart, whatever the Lord your God disperses, uh, uh, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where He scattered you. Basically, what Joshua is telling the people that Moses had told him to say to the people in that valley between Ebal and Gerizim is this. If you are weak, then God will give you mercy. And if you are faithful, then God is going to give you great blessing. But if you are rebellious, then God is going to give you a hard life. The key is to know how to regroup and to move on and to follow God and to draw near to Him and to sense that He is drawing near to you. You know, some centuries after this, in this very same valley, there was a place called Sychar where there was a well that, Jacob's, that Jacob had given to his family. And Jesus with His disciples is, is, is moving up from the, the southern part of the nation to the northern part of the nation to Galilee, and in, this very, in the vicinity of Gerizim and Mount Ebal, he runs in the middle of the day, after he sent his disciples into town to get some food for themselves, he runs into a woman in the middle of the day. And he says, would you give me a drink of water, please? And she is so taken aback, so taken aback, that you, a Jew, would ask me, a woman, and a Samaritan for a drink of water, because Jews and Samaritans didn't really interact with each other. 
But on top of that, there's a reason why she's there in the middle of the day. The early part of the day, the cool part of the day, the cool part of the evening, that's when the women in village life would get the water. She's there for a reason in the middle of the day. She's ostracized. The reason, she's messed up on sex, messed up on marriage, messed up on relationships with men. She had been married and divorced five or six times, and the, the next thing you know, she's given up on that institution, and the next thing you know, she's just living with some cat. And Jesus says, would you give me a drink of water? And she says, what? And she asks a question, because everybody has a religious question. Some of the religious questions I've been asked, was the thief on the cross really saved? Her religious question is this. We Samaritans say it's over here on Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing. You Jews say it's down in Jerusalem. So which is it? And Jesus says, you're finally asking the right question. Where do you draw near to God? And she gets so excited when the gospel is presented to her. And she, and she just changed. She's revolutionized by the kindness and the grace and the forgiveness and the whole Jesus demeanor. She runs back into that village and says, we've been looking for the prophet. We've been looking for this, this Messiah. Could this be him? And they come back and you know the rest of the story. Our God is a God that knows who human beings are and what they're made of. He knows that we're made out of dust. He knows that from time to time we're going to fail. He knows He knows the power of Satan better than we do. We try to take Him on by ourselves and we get defeated all of the time. He's telling us to resist in His power and Satan will, will flee from you. The problem is, is that we don't and we fall and what we've got to do is instead of just pray, 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 we've got to repent. And we've got to regroup. And never, ever, ever, ever give up this life that we've been called to. It is a life. It is the choosing of life. And we get up out of that fetal position and we move towards God and God moves towards us and He tackles us in our front yard and He begins to kiss our face. The question is, what do you choose? There's something in the hierarchy of values that says a, a coerced love is not as great as a love that is reciprocated. And that's all he's asking. That's all he's asking. I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to sin. I know you're going to mess up. I know there are going to be times. I'm just asking you to choose. I'm asking you to choose. We're going to sing a song right now. And our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. And maybe you have never chosen and you need to choose. This story of Ai and the destruction of that city is a reminder that God's, God's, God's judgment of wickedness and of sin and people who are rebellious and who will not repent regardless of what they've been told about God, the greatness and the majesty of His holiness, that it is total and exhaustive and comprehensive. But while there is still time, you get to choose. The mountain of blessing, the mountain of cursing. Your life with God 